Welcome back to the 7 Investing Podcast. I'm lead advisor Steve Symington, and today uh, our guest is Lauren Hine of Robo Global. She's the head of advisor relations. Uh, Lauren, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about what keeps you busy every day? Um, well, Steve, we're we're talking technology, but maybe not like the most traditional technology, but I, I mean, who isn't talking tech these days? So that's mm-hmm. probably not all that unique. Um, but we're a robotics and automation um, research and advisory shop. Um, we have some ETFs that track our indexes. And that honestly, robotics and automation is where we're spending the bulk of our time right now. Wonderful. Um, I, I love that you kind of go outside the normal uh, tech box as well. Uh, there's there's a lot of, you know, when people think tech, um, A, they're, they're scared right now <laughs> because we are kind of right in the middle of the worst pullback in, in uh, tech stocks in particular since 2003, if I'm not mistaken. And uh and that makes people kind of scared. Um, and I, I think that's part of uh, what I'd love to start talking about uh, right away is, is kind of the case for tech in your portfolio, even amid this sell-off. Um, how are you thinking about that right now? Uh, why should people not abandon it entirely uh, at this point? Sure. Uh, well, we can't abandon like a, a, a major growth driver of our economy, first of all. Um, but I think when we talk tech, a lot of people just think um, owning the NASDAQ or the FANG stocks, you know, the big, big tech hardware, software type technology companies. Um, the way we think about owning technology, especially right now, is saying, you know, what is, if technology is really driving innovation forward, Um, Let's think about it outside of maybe the traditional gigs classifications. Let's really think about it as who's innovating and maybe we need to get a little creative. You know, for example, my robotics and automation index, um, R-O-B-O, Robo. So if you refer to Robo, that's it. Um, It's 40% invested right now in capital goods, in industrial manufacturers, because to us, you know, we talk about robots and we talk about automation, but that requires some um, manufacturing equipment and that automation equipment, and someone has to make those machines. So that to us is technological advancement, but it is, it's going to be industrial manufacturers. So, you know, we still own a lot of tech companies, AI, another place that we're seeing, um, you know, real productivity gains and real um, advancements in driving tech and big data. Um, There's like cybersecurity. There's all of these actual software solutions that we still want to own, but like, we don't just stay in traditional quote unquote tech. Right. And uh, that's when so many people think, you know, tech, they think of these mega caps and you have you know Google, Amazon, Meta, it's the parent company of uh, Facebook, Google's actually Alphabet now. Um, and I've written a fair bit about how um, there is so much opportunity outside of that. And, and we're looking at like lagging small and mid caps. And I love how, you're thinking about this as it's it's necessary technology uh, that kind of operates often behind the scenes. Um, and you kind of touched on industrial manufacturers. How do you think about um, sort of the way they fit into uh, robotics and, and automation, uh, that ecosystem? Can you touch a little more on yeah. the way you think about that? Yeah, for sure. So automation is the number one trend in technology right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Gartner did a survey recently that said 80% of organizations continue to plan to continue or increase their spending on automation technologies. Um, I'm going to use some really easy examples, and that is um, manufacturing automobiles. Um, last year, uh, installations of industrial robots in that automotive sector 
um, was up 37% year over year. So we added about 110,000 units of industrial robots. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so maybe I'm far off your question already, but, um, the, the excitement around automation is, is wholly cross sector, mm-hmm. um, non-automated sectors. There's all some other good examples about, um, you know, robotics applications in manufacturing metals that was up 40% last year. Um, semiconductors, everyone's talking about the shortage electronics. Um, those manufacturing solutions were added about 23%. Um, for for more robotic solutions. The same thing in like ag tech and farm tech, mm-hmm. food and consumer goods, 21% growth last year in the manufacturing um, solutions implemented. So it's fully cross sector. Um, you know, it's, and it's not probably names that are, big tech needs to get into some of these spaces because they have such explosive growth numbers and mega cap companies like that really do need to find places with big opportunities to see real growth. But right, right now, um, it's just a lot of kind of smaller, small and mid cap companies globally that are doing a lot of this, um, you know, really innovative automation technology work. Um, my robotics index, if you ran it through Morningstar, we're considered global SMID. So mm-hmm. there's that to speak to big tech, or maybe in my case, the lack thereof. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think something that's really important to note at this point is, you know, we've talked about, you know, worst pullback in tech uh, mm-hmm. since 2003. And you look at the NASDAQ, all the constituents, every every stock listed on the NASDAQ index right now, uh, I think almost 50% of the companies listed are down at least 50% from their rolling highs. And uh, there's some speculation that maybe as we, we have the Federal Reserve kind of removing some of the liquidity from the system, we get some more pain there. Um, but they've already been smashed so hard. Uh, I, I can't help but wonder if we see uh, perhaps some relative strength from these companies that are already beaten down um, because their performance is being masked, I think, by the relative outperformance of some of these mega cap names, uh, your Amazons, your Metas, your Alphabets. Uh, how do you guys kind of yeah. think about allocating uh, money when you have funds that way? So, yeah, I don't want to bang on the, the cues too much. Um, but if you actually look at the, so, so the, the, the cues have about 102 stocks in it. Um, mm-hmm. If you look at the effective number of holdings, meaning the number of companies actually driving the performance of that index, it's only 24. Mm-hmm. So you're, there is a lot. I mean, if half that index is down more than 50% off its peak, you're, you're not experiencing a lot of that drawdown because the, the bulk of the performance is being driven by just a few of those mega cap names. Right. Um, now to your question about how do we think about investing in, uh, was it tech generally or, or automation stocks? Sure. Um, no, we really, our investment criteria is to look at, um, you know, we've defined what we think is a very long-term multi-decade um, um, theme, if you will. And mm-hmm. thematic investing has really become all the rage called over the last five or six years or so. Um, and then we look at that long-term theme and we say, does this company have market leadership? Do they have technology leadership? What are the investments that they're making in these innovative technologies and their growth prospects? We also obviously look at their financial quality. Are they a takeout target? Um, so we, tr- we, tr- we really try to stay in at least our um, kind of corner of the world, true to that long-term um, theme, not something that's going to be you know, glamour stocks, not something that's going to be a flash in the pan. We're not trying to chase performance. We want um, long-term disruption potential. Right. Um, so let's 
talk about that maybe you know I, I think maybe this this sort of environment favors or is increasingly favoring uh, stock pickers and uh, people who can find individual businesses. And I know there's a few stocks we wanted to talk about that maybe you guys are watching uh, kind of closely uh, mm-hmm. to that end. So um, perhaps maybe we start on, on the Japan side. You know, I, I know, um, you know you've talked about, I think you've mentioned before that uh, Tesla is notably absent in uh, several of your ETFs, but perhaps yeah. some of the companies supporting them yeah. uh, are not. Yes. Yeah. So Tesla is a really fun example. It comes up in all of my meetings because it is very innovative. They grab the lion's share of the attention when we're talking about um, electric vehicles. And then, you know, the next kind of level of thinking there is autonomous vehicles. And they're obviously working on on that technology. Um, you know, down I'm, I'm based in Dallas and down in Austin, they just put in the Gigafactory, which is 10 million square feet of manufacturing space. Um but we are actually looking at a company or companies like um, Fanuc is one that we want to talk about. We're super excited. Um, they actually make the manufacturing robots that are used to manufacture uh, Teslas. So you can kind of, you're, you're experiencing the growth of the manufacturing robot orders, which as an aside, auto manufacturers were 40% of the robot orders Year, that's up 15% year over year. So they're doing a ton of automation. Um, but that is an industrials company. We classify them capital goods and in, in industrial machinery. It's critical to the entire ecosystem of manufacturing. Um, and so you don't have to get trapped in the conversation about Tesla, about Elon Musk, about at this point now Twitter. <laughs> We're just trying to talk about, you know, efficiently and accurately manufacturing uh EVs. Right. Um, Go ahead. ahead. Well, the last thing I'll say on that factory automation is in um, one of our strategic advisors actually just threw a chart out recently that it's in a very firm upcycle. If you just look at, you know, quarter over quarter demand change, the outlook through next year, even firm, firm growth in factory automation. And we just said automated for start. And, uh, you know, if you've never heard of FANUC, it's uh, F-A-N-U-C is how you spell it. Uh, it's ADR's American Depository Receipts. If you're looking for a ticker, uh, trades over the counter, and I believe its ticker is F-A-N-U-Y. You can find it that way. Um, but Japanese company, and, uh, you know, if you're not familiar, you've probably seen their products before and little Tesla fly-throughs on their videos where you show the robots assembling everything. Uh, these are the kind of robots that support. It's not all Tesla technology uh, that you're seeing in those videos, even though it's it's very, very cool. Um, but why, why Japan? Um, you know, why I know there's, there's some reasons kind of underlying how companies like this are coming yeah. out. Yeah. Another, I want to stay on, on Fanuc really quickly. I sure. visited some friends in Detroit just a couple of years ago. And as I was leaving and driving to the airport, there was a, a, a parking garage and the side of the parking garage was an advertisement for Fanuc. Hmm. And it was, we are, we're here and we're investing in Detroit. We're investing in your community. And so it's, they're not exclusively manufacturing or providing manufacturing solutions for Tesla. They are everywhere. Right. Um, and you'll start, you know, like you just said, the videos, when you see it, you'll start to see them everywhere when you see them. Um, another example of another um uh, manufacturer that we used to own, we don't anymore, is KUKA. Um, just want to give them their due. Um, but uh, the question about why Japan. So Japan very much um, led the way and has led the way in automation, especially in some of these um, industrial manufacturers. Um, 
because they have a pretty severe um, population decline and they've been really confronting their aging population for quite some time now. Mm -hmm. Um, So when you stare down, you would like to continue the economic growth, but you stare down a, a, a labor force that continues to decline and they really don't have um, any any immigration policy to speak of, and they're not having enough children to replace the people leaving the workforce, you've got to start thinking about automated solutions. So um, the one of our strategic advisors actually just did an interview about this. And if you did my land, you can actually find it. Um, it's There's kind of this race to see who's going to be the leader in automation and in robotics technology. And, and Japan came out the gate extremely strong. Mm-hmm. And so um, I mean, the U.S. is going to need to, con- to start, con- well, we need to start confronting this in that we, we've had a shrinking labor supply, def- despite the fact that our, our working age population continues to grow. Right. Um, but we've got to start thinking about how robotics can be a solution for, say, wage inflation and the high cost of living now across sector. Um and, and, and frankly, importing a lot of those industrial um, industrial machines is a really good first step to thinking about doing more automation, manufacturing automation specifically here in the U.S. Um, I'll give you, you know, last fall we talked a lot. I mean, it's, you started to see that the help wanted signs everywhere. And then it was all the pictures, you know, $18 an hour, $21, $25 an hour. It was a right. conversation. Um, there's a restaurant here in Dallas that uses robots that zip around the restaurant and actually bust the table. So you put the plates on the robot and it takes things back to the kitchen. There's also um, a jack in my neighborhood that uses one to um, take things from the back of the kitchen, like the part of the kitchen up to where they're finishing the plates by the window before they come out. And so they're, they're not running those uh, ingredients before they bring them out. They're actually putting them on a robot that moves around. Um, Last fall, you, Forbes did an article called Rent a Robot. There was a number of articles, actually, just mm-hmm. about cobots helping, you know, human workers do higher value work. And the robot can work as, alongside you and assist you. And you can actually rent those um, pieces of heavy machinery, essentially, instead of having to purchase them, which makes them very scalable for smaller businesses. Right. So it's, um, it's innovation, it's automation, and it is getting much more uh, mainstream, if you will. Right. And, and I, I think that's a, a topic, you know, that you've just kind of brought up uh, robotics as a service and uh, not necessarily asking um, companies to spend you know, tens of thousands, in some cases, hundreds of thousands or millions on, you know, to, to outfit a warehouse, you know, full of robots. Uh, so you can automate things that way. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more in, in the realm of robotics as a service and, uh, and companies asking for that actually, um, you know, about a year and a half ago now, I think I did an interview with uh, Lior Elizari, he's the CEO of uh, Invia Robotics. And it's very, very similar to Amazon's Kiva robots. Um, mm-hmm. But he said one of the things they've moved toward because a lot of companies are, are unwilling um, to spend so much money to outfit an entire warehouse with robots is, is robotics as a service where they say, we'll pay you this much every month and uh, we'll lease your robots. You take care of the maintenance and then take care of all that for us. But uh, it, it should be really interesting to kind of watch that unfold. And also uh, on the consumer robotics side. So companies like iRobot providing iRobot Select where you can pay them 29 bucks a month to get a Roomba and a new one every three years and they replace them if anything happens. And uh, definitely an increasing trend um, 
but you also touched on another topic. Uh, I think maybe before we move on, you know, there's another Japanese company, uh, Yakusawa. Yakusawa. Uh-huh. Uh, we can talk about it in a minute. Um, sure. But before we go there, uh, you touched on another topic, um, kind of labor replacement, and and how do we think about? You know, we're automating things. We have restaurants that are bussing tables. We have warehouses that are doing this. How do we think about people who might step out as critics and say, you're replacing our jobs? Like what, what happens? You know, these are jobs that we wanted. And uh, is automation bad in that sense? How do we walk that line? Um, it is a fine line. And I would avoid going to either extreme, right? You don't want to be fighting automation because we want to stay global leader have a you know a global say global leaders in technology and production and we want to have a strong economy here but also you can't be you know robots are going to replace all of us and we're all just going to sit around living these like lives of leisure and meaninglessness um <laughs> but technology is changing the way we work and the type of work that we do mm-hmm. um i just saw i want to say this year's um world economic forum report predicted that 85 million jobs will be displaced by automation right. um, by 2025 and that is incredibly significant um we know that in robo talks a lot about um the fact that more jobs have been created because mm-hmm. of automation than so far have been lost. Yeah. But there is something to the fact that there may be higher tech jobs that people doing more um, blue collar manual labor type work, they're going to be the first replaced. Um, and so there have to be solutions and I don't know what they are and I don't know that we want to be, you know, informing policy or anything like that. Um, they're doing some solutions to perhaps re-educate part of our um, workforce right. and be willing to say, okay, you know, the jobs that that are, are coming down the pike are going to be more tech adjacent. Someone's got to be able to fix this manufacturing, you know, the, the, the more nuanced equipment that we're bringing into right. warehouses. And um, there are more specialized component parts that are kind of one part technology and the other part engineering. So um it is a, it is it is going to happen to some degree. I don't know the pace of it or how mm-hmm. extreme it's going to look. I don't know if that means we're going to have conversations even about like the way we are educating people coming out of high school. Do we all need a four year diploma, and um, or should we be talking? Should I get something a certificate that is tech adjacent or learn more of the um, kind of engineering behind? the technology. I don't know, but it is something that comes up in every conversation that I have. And they're big questions that will require some probably creative answers. Um, But again, if we can avoid going to either extreme, I think that's going to be key to have some reasonable discourse around the job loss that will continue and the job creation that will continue because of of more advanced automation. Right. It does tend to inflame, I think is maybe a kind word (laughs) because there's people who are frustrated uh, because perhaps they've lost a job to automation, but also on the other end, you know, you have, I I think it is, it is crucial to recognize that um, more jobs are being created than are lost, but they're different jobs and they're human centric jobs. They're jobs that only people can do. And uh, as we become kind of more productive as a a world, as a global society, um, 
even though maybe people are talking about globalism being destroyed in the process of all this craziness, but that's an entirely different podcast. Everything comes and goes, right? <laughs> that, that conversation we find ourselves in every few decades. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. One more thing I want to say on that. I grew up in essentially the Rust Belt in a small farm town in the Midwest. And my kind of first memory of any of this is um, the corning factory in my town uh, right. during the late 90s, early 2000s, stopped making those Pyrex dishes, the, yeah. the like glassware and started making fiber optics cable and then uh, instantly had to close <laughs> because oh. the, the tech crash, right? And so yeah. the, the way that that factory came back to life in my little farm town employed in maybe 20% of the people that it did before. Right. Um, so this has been happening all the time. And um, it is very personal to like where I come from. My parents still live in that little farm town. Um, but something, and I don't want to hand out like a ton of homework, but something that I found very interesting was a book by Kevin Roos, who's I believe a New York Times columnist and author. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wrote, he wrote a book called Future Proof, um, right. Nine Rules for Humans in the Age of Automation. I've sent it to so many um, friends and friends with kids. It just talks about if the world is going to automate um, how do we be of value as people? And in a yeah. lot of ways, that's really leaning into the things that make us uniquely human. Um, right. And you'll never outwork the machine. The AI in your computer is always going to be more efficient than you, whether we like it or not. So mm-hmm. how do I adapt to that and educate myself for that? And then really lean into our human you know, communication skills, et cetera, to work well with the technology because it's going to happen. And, it, right. and for those of us in the workforce now, it's hard to change. Mm-hmm. but like we have to really choose to adopt this stuff because um it's it's happening it's happening in the software and for the manufacturing and all the actual like you know the chipotle is testing right now a new like chip cutter and fryer like mm-hmm. all the way down to the the guys working at you know behind in the in the kitchens and fast food it's it's coming for all of us in some way so we need to embrace it and have a plan for it i think right um, and actually, maybe we step, we uh, we skip Yaskawa uh, for the time being because I feel like we're on a, a a good tangent right now. We're talking about uh, Rust Belt. Um, we're talking about uh, America, and I know there's a couple uh, American companies you guys have been keeping an eye on as well uh, in the industrial uh, focused robotics yeah. realm. Um, Cognex was one I, I think <laughs> yeah. you wanted to mention. Yeah. Uh, by oh, all we're means. talking about investing, right? 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 Okay. So <laughs> let me talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about the industrial manufacturers um, that we're looking at right now. So I, I mentioned earlier there are about 80 companies in our um, in our index of what we call robotics and automation. About 15% of those are, are uh, well, 40% are industrials or capital goods manufacturers. That does include some um, uh, like tech equipment in there. Um, yeah. 15% of that index is trading on an EV to sales ratio of less than one time. And the bulk yeah. of those are in the uh, industrial manufacturing space. So um, just, to, just to give you an idea of how cheap that is, yeah. if you have a negative EV to sales, it means your company can buy itself with its own cash. Right. And so we're trading less than one time. Like it is incredibly, they're incredibly oversold in our opinion. Right. Um, 
part of this is because they're getting slammed by the uh, supply chain disruption. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked a lot uh, about how there are shortages in semiconductors and yeah. um, we need to do a lot more manufacturing there. And it might be a long time before we actually get up to speed with the demand for chips. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not just chips. It is reduction gears and uh, microcontrollers, optical um, and motion sensors of different kinds, linear motion guides. Um, so a lot of these nuanced parts, component parts, to this machinery are not being delivered in time for these manufacturers to actually deliver the goods that the, the, on the orders that have already come in. Yeah. Um, so we think that's a huge opportunity. Um, Teradyne is a company you asked about one specifically that's U.S. based. They're based yeah. in Massachusetts. They are technically a semiconductor company, but they fall into our um, application and industrial automation and manufacturing subsectors. Mm-hmm. I believe Teradyne might also be, I don't quote me on this, but they also might be in my, my artificial intelligence fund. Um, okay. They supply test equipment for semiconductors. Right. So they are doing 5G testing solutions, um, testing chips, and frankly, um, I mean, they've got a really impressive list of clients. It's Samsung and Qualcomm and Intel, Texas Instruments here in Dallas. Um, They are uh, the highest in their peer growth at expanding their gross and net margins. Last year, their gross margins were up 60%, net was 27%. And they've had incredible top line growth. So their net income um, two years ago was just under half a billion, called 460 uh, million to over a billion in just two years. They also have a cobot segment that we're really excited about. Um, They are doing robot picking, autonomous forklifts, cobots that can work um, alongside humans. Um, And that that business segment within Teradyne is growing at about 40% year over year. So tons of potential for that as well, although it's not like the core of their business right now. Um, so we're super cons- excited about Teradyne. They are U.S. based. We love an American company. <laughs> um, yeah. But the the yeah. So Teradyne, the ticker is T E R. Yeah, and, and Teradyne's also interesting because uh, modest dividend. I think uh, last check it was like a 04 percent annual yield, so very small there. But uh, trading near fifty two two week lows again. T E R is the ticker. Uh, compelling stock. Actually, I want to take a, a closer look at it. It's one that's always kind of been on the back. Uh, uh, at the bottom of my watch list, but I feel like I feel the need to propel it higher uh, at, at this stage. But um, yeah, anyone very, very... Growing, oh, sorry, anyone growing alongside the build out of the 5G network and also uh, chip manufacturing, we right. feel pretty good about the direction of that business. Right. And, and so maybe before we move on to maybe the other the other business that I mentioned earlier, um, that how do we think about those supply chain uh, challenges and chip shortages and everything that the, cause that's undoubtedly a headwind right now for them, but not a permanent one. Yeah. Um, so how, how do we think about how to, how to approach that as an investor right now? Oh God, I don't know if I had the answer to that. <laughs> um, it's, it's for, for the companies that are manufacturing this equipment, they have two problems. One is they can't get the component parts in to actually deliver on the orders that are already here. 
And then two, they're just having trouble physically shipping things. So when they're ready, are they getting to where they need to go? So it's two problems. And I don't know how fast we're going to be able to loosen the log jams in, Mm -hmm. in the supply chain, especially shipping back and forth to Japan and Korea in these examples, at least. Um, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, and I I think, um, the the other important thing to note, and we've heard that we've talked about this a little bit, is is that this isn't a problem with the company. It's it's an it's a, a headwind that's kind of outside its control right now. And I think that's an important point to note when you're looking at any business. Is is this a problem with demand for its services, with its products? Is this a fundamental challenge with its financials? No, it, it's something that should prove temporary. And uh, I have no problem. Uh, personally, taking advantage of temporary issues with otherwise strong businesses. So uh, that's one of the things I love about a lot of these companies in in the space that are being challenged by those headwinds. You're still seeing very strong sales growth um, Mm -hmm. in these companies. And and yeah, if you like things on sale, I like things on sale. This might be (laughs) an opportunity to buy these companies and trust that the the shipping and the supply chain and logistics issues will continue to loosen up, whether it's mm-hmm. next year or two years or whatever, um, they will. And we do know that these companies are still seeing, seeing order growth and sales growth. So right. um, I don't wanna to touch on FX too much, but uh, with, your, with, with American manufacturing, uh, manufacturers getting kind of more bang for their buck with the strong dollar, that doesn't hurt either. No. Uh, there's, we're, we're able to buy more equipment to automate more places. Um, and these, these manufacturers are largely Japanese and Korean. Right. right. Um, so uh, let's pivot from Teradyne uh, to the other company. I know that you guys are watching kind of closely Cognex. Um, tell me about Cognex. Yeah, Cognex. Also, um, also Massachusetts based. It's a tech hardware company. Essentially, we um, I know for a fact we include this one in my AI index and in my robotics and automation index. Within Robo, it's considered um, computing and, and, and AI. Yeah. Um, which that that AI piece is about like call it fifteen percent of of the fund or the the index, and then AI we actually consider it factory automation, which is interesting right. because machine vision is like ninety five percent of the revenue from Cognex. Um, one really cool application for this technology um, is that you can they're using machine vision to automate quality control, so software mm-hmm. and sensors that can really identify defects. In, a, um, in anything coming off a line, essentially at the point of assembly. Right. Um, the machines are obviously faster and more accurate than having people do the work. Mm-hmm. I don't have x-ray vision. I don't know about you, <laughs> but it's incredibly cost. It reduces costs. We avoid recalls. We have better quality control when we can use the, the machine vision right before something leaves the actual line. Yeah. Um, Another, you know, interesting technology that they're, um, that we're excited about within Cognex is um, their edge intelligence software and their 3D scanners. They, they're, um, they're basically able to take all of the big data that is spread out. Right. And that comes from reading barcodes and from doing the quality control, um, the data from those machine vision tools, essentially. And then you can send all of that information up to the cloud for nearly instant data organization and analysis. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's real-time performance monitoring, um, which, again, helps you be very streamlined and efficient um, 
and that's their edge intelligence stuff. We're also some 3D scanning in there that we really like. So Cognex, again, a U.S. company, but we're super excited about, about what they're helping manufacturers achieve. Right. And CGNX is the ticker on Cognex. Uh, also, uh, a modest half a percent yield on, on the dividend and trading near 52-week lows, uh, as with so many other things. But um, it's uh, that's a business that I've talked a little bit about for anyone who attended my How to Think About Investing Robotics podcast a couple of months ago. Um, Cognex is, is a pretty compelling business, about an $8 billion market cap right now. Um, so, I mean, given the potential in the markets it's addressing. Uh, I, I can't help but agree uh, that it, it's, it should be near the top of your watch list. By our estimates, only about 4% of the factories in the U.S. are using some sort of uh, technology like this. So that's huge upside potential. Right. And, and which seems almost silly. Uh, I, I hate to, it, it feels like such a clear ROI um, for a, a company implementing a service like this, but uh I hate to have businesses learn the hard way that they should have had something like this implemented because it's, it's almost like a, well, what if we didn't have this? Uh, this could be a whole lot worse. Um, these machine vision systems and quality control, but again, uh, just a small part of what Cognix offers, but maybe what it's known best for. Um, some of those adjacent markets are compelling sort of bits of optionality uh, for a company like Cognix. Um, we, well, we love like the, the, everyone likes to talk about the exciting new technologies. And so it's, it's the point of production quality control is something that I find to be very relatable, no matter who I'm talking to in the world, um, where they live, if they're Metro, whatever. Um, so yeah, it's an, it's an exciting, super applicable technology, very specialized. And yeah, I do think you're right that you would hate to learn the hard way. Recall is very expensive. Doing it twice, very expensive. So um, they're providing a lot of value for for companies that are working with them. And also, I I love just all the behind the scenes. Uh, This isn't so much... Uh, consumer-facing technology, uh, but it's it's increasingly necessary technology. And I think um, all the businesses that we've mentioned uh, so far on this podcast episode are, are businesses that kind of operate that way uh, in the background, uh, but increasingly necessary, uh, increasingly high uh, returns on investment for companies that, that actually put their money to work uh, that way. So perhaps we should consider investing accordingly. <laughs> We couldn't agree more. <laughs> the stuff that's like always on TV, perhaps we don't want to be quite so famous. <laughs> right, <laughs> exactly. Well, good. Uh, you know, I think that actually should should give uh, listeners plenty to chew on uh, at this point. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining me, Lauren. It's always a, yeah, a pleasure. Lauren, thanks for having me. Thanks everybody for uh, listening to the seven investing podcast. Again, uh, I'm lead advisor, Steve Symington, uh, joined by Robo Globos, uh, Robo Globals, uh, Lauren Hine. Thanks again. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.